0: Good morning. The weathermen were right today. Uh, Isn't that amazing? Aren't we grateful? I'm I'm surprised. Uh, But no, those guys, I guess they have a tough job, but uh, let's not dog them too much. But they were right. It is snowing outside, and um, whether you have come to the room or you're in your living room, we are so grateful that you've joined us today. And now, Now, you know, we're learning to worship, that we can worship in here together. But we're also learning we can worship in our living rooms. And so let's do that today. On days like today, especially on days like today, um, we should expect God to speak to our hearts today. Because he's moving, he's at work. And so whether you are at home or right here, let's come to the Lord with an attitude of expectation. Now we stand in honor of God's word, so I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're gonna start in verse uh, 22. And even if you're in your living room, stand up. Let's, let's, let's stand in honor of God's word. It kind of shows something. It shows that God's word has a priority. It, it's, an, it's, a, it's a physical statement to point to the fact that God's word has authority in our lives. And it kind of, I think, uh, allows us the opportunity to kind of let God get our attention and our focus. So let's uh, look look at verses 22 in Luke chapter 2, starting verse 22, and we're going to read through 35, and that's where we're going to be today. It says this, verse 22, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. May be revealed, and this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated now. I don't know if you've ever heard that Latin song called "Nunc Dimittis." You gotta Google it. Not not now, but uh, but later. "Nunc Dimittis" is a is a it's actually a song that's been sung in the church for over four hundred years, and it's Latin, and it's famous. Now it's, there's several different versions of it, but it's but it's inter- it's, it's a typical Christmas song because it's like it's 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 taking Luke two, Simeon's song is what it's really what it is, and it's and it's like every other Christmas song. It proclaims hope and joy and peace and and and, and it's Simeon's song. It's it's this beautiful depiction that the Messiah had come. And what's interesting about the church for 400 years, when they sang that song, they just kind of focused on the, on the first part of Simeon's prophecy, and, and they, they left out most of the story. And so today, what, what I want us to do is uh, take a look at Simeon. Now, you may say, okay, now, wait a minute. It's not Christmas yet, and we're already jumping ahead into Luke 2.22. I mean, Jesus is eight days old here. We'll just call it foreshadowing, okay? We're just, we are jumping ahead, okay? So Jesus has already been born in Luke 2.22, and he's eight days old, in fact. And it's interesting that this passage speaks to one of the most important moments in the life of Jesus, and it really sets up his his earthly ministry, and it's this massive prophecy about Jesus coming to the Gentiles. And, um, and I'll tell you what's on my heart this Christmas. You know, it's, I, I'm convicted as I look at our world, our culture, because I really believe that as that, that as followers of Christ, we need to reclaim the the, the Christmas story because we're living in this. Day where we're feeling some pressure to uh, to a se- from a secularized society. Now, Christian Smith is a sociologist, and he said this: that that secularization is the process that progressively removes religion from the public arena and reduces it to the private realm. That's Christian Smith's definition of secularization. Now, when I look at our culture. We're feeling this pressure, I think, to, to move the message of Christ to private conversations. And, 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 let's, and, and kind of taking it out of the public discourse. And one of the things that I, I think of as a Christian is like, no, we, we can't do this. Christianity, the message of Christ, the message of Christmas, is not a secular message. It's not a message that we are to keep quiet. And when I think about Christmas, to understand Christmas— is to come to terms with the message of God to humanity. I mean, to understand Christmas is to come excuse me—come face-to-face with the, the message that Christ came to proclaim. That's the message of Christmas. We've got to understand Christmas because you've got to see the message that Christ came to proclaim. To understand Christmas is to recognize the, the reality of Jesus while confronting human lostness. And that's the message of Christmas. And that's something that, that uh, we need to reclaim. And Simeon right here has this incredible story to tell. And, and really, when you think about it, he kind of uttered one of the creepiest um, prophecies about Jesus. It's kind of creepy. And it's kind of interesting as, uh, as I mean, think about Mary. She's, she's walking into the temple with Joseph. And she's got her baby in her arms, eight days old. And this likely, Simeon's likely an old man. We, we, don't, we don't know how old he was. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it's probable that he was, he was older. And this old man walks up to them, takes her baby, and then starts articulating this song. And then this prophecy, look at verse 34 and 35 in Luke 2. He says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That's a little creepy, right? I mean, if you're a mom walking in with the baby, and uh, um, a man picks up your child and says, "Okay, this is—he's going to be opposed. The rising and falling of many in Israel is going to be because of this baby, and a sword's going to pierce your soul, mom." It's a dire warning. And really, when you think about this prophecy, he's basically saying to Mary and to Joseph that Christ is going to lead you into a fight. That that following Christ is going to cause great offense to people in the world. Following Christ is going to be to embrace this reality of conflict. And and this was the experience of Jesus and his family. Mark Matthew thirteen, Mark three. It's it's the it's the experience for followers of Christ. First Peter uh, chapter two talks about this. Uh, that that in a first glance you may think, well, golly, Chris, come on, man, it's COVID time. I mean, there's a lot of people sick. Don't you why, why don't you preach a message on hope and joy and, and why why do we talk about being opposed? You know, you may, may want me to go Hallmark channel on I, I had a lot of Hallmark discussions this week after last week. But um, but but you know the truth is that the Christian Christmas message is joyful. It is marked by hope. It is marked by joy. But here's what I want us to see today. Before we can experience that joy of Christmas, before that can be realized, we have got to confront the warning of Christmas. Because in Luke 2, there's a warning here that that Christmas will cause the literal rising of people, the falling of people. So so the question that I want us to confront today is will Jesus be a cause of your rising or your falling? You know what I've prayed today? That even on a snowy day, even on a COVID day, that, that God would draw someone to see salvation for the first time. So whether you're watching at home or, or in this room, let's, let's tune in to what the Lord says. Let, let's not miss the amazing reality of this message. Look at verse 22. Let's look at this. Let's dive into this. In verse 22 in Luke 2, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, "...they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a a, a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons." Now, now what's, what's going on here is Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, are obe- obeying the customs. They're obeying the Jewish customs. And, and so the custom was you circumcise your firstborn son on the eighth day and you bring him to the temple. And, and it's interesting as, as, as they are following this path and, and this, this, this custom. Now, now, Jewish people loved the customs that they were given. And, and the custom of circumcision was a big deal because it was a mark of their faith. And so they were passionate about this, and, and honestly, they were prideful. They were, they were excited about, they, they, they were honoring the Lord with this, and this circumcision was this mark of, of their faith. And it, dis- it made them distinctive from other people, other Gentiles. And in fact, they, they looked at Gentiles as, oh, they're uncircumcised. And, and in some ways, this was a prideful moment, but it was an important moment, an important custom. And, and I want you to notice what the text says. They were bringing two young pigeons or two turtle doves. And in what this says about Mary and Joseph, it's really fascinating because it points to their status, You know, if you were um, wealthier, you would bring a a lamb to to sacrifice for your son, but Joseph and Mary were poor. And I think it's really fascinating that God, as he would enter human history, came to a couple that was really a nobody, really a common couple, a, 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 a common people. And I think that speaks to where we are. It says says so much about God that he would choose the common, humble people to execute his fascinating and amazing plan of salvation. Look at verse 25. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel— and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, a constellation of Israel means it's speaking to this messianic hope and, and he's, he's waiting and he's looking. Now, like the wise men, Simeon was, was noticing the signs of the times because the prophets, if you studied the prophets correctly, the prophets were pointing to this time in history that the Messiah was going to come. And so, Simeon was one of those. He was understanding the word of God. He, he was looking for the Messiah. And, you know what, it Kind of, uh, it's amazing when you see God keeping his word. Have you ever done that in your own life? When God moves and God speaks to you and you're like, oh my goodness, God, you are faithful. You're doing what you said. Well, you know, like Simeon, he was at the time that the Messiah was going to come the first time. But look at us. We're living in the days of the second coming, aren't we? I mean, I mean, the Bible points. If you read our Bible, uh, if you read the Bible right now, we can look at the times and and recognize that there will be a day that Jesus comes a second time in the flesh. And I'm telling you, folks, we get to live in those days. Simeon was living in the first coming of Christ. And look at look at verse uh, look at verse 26. Now it had been revealed to him because God had spoken to him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came, look, notice this, in the Spirit into the temple. Now, Simeon was this man who was led by the Spirit of God. He was taught by the Word of God. He was obedient to the will of God. And, and it's amazing because God allowed him to see salvation right before his eyes. Look at verse 27. When his parents brought in the child... Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed him. Now, now, what I, as I studied this passage, I, I was so encouraged in my own life. Because um, I think about this time of, of Simeon, and, 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 and this was a tough time for, for, for Jewish people. In the first century, they, the Romans were in charge of them. They were, they were being ruled by the Romans. And, and, and you know, think about it. Remember what happened right after Jesus were, um, was born? The wise men came. And the wise men, what did they do? Before they found Jesus, they went to Herod. Remember? They went to Herod. And Herod, remember what Herod said? Hey, uh, I want to I wanna go worship Jesus too. Would you come back and tell me? But the wise men were like, I don't trust that dude. Remember what Herod did? Right after that, he started killing babies. Jewish babies were being killed. And this is the time that Simeon's living. This is a tough time. You know what I think about? I was encouraged as I, as I got to rub shoulders with Simeon. Because here he was a man in the midst of tough times. He got to walk by the Spirit. Do you know that we get to walk by the Spirit? Do you know that we, like someone asked, me. We, we were had a, I had, a, I had a few staff members that were with me last Monday, and one of them said, how do you minister to people in these days? And I'm like, man, we just gotta walk by the Spirit. Let me tell you something. These are tough days that we are in. Saturday, I got, a, I got phone calls. Three of our people went into ICU yesterday with COVID. And man, I, I'm telling you, I, I scratch my head sometimes and go, Lord, what do we do? How, do? how do we know what to do during days like this, like we're living in? Let me tell you something. We walk by the Spirit. Don't you know you can do this? Simeon was like this. He was led by the Spirit, and in the midst of this this tough time, there was a readiness in Simeon. There was a readiness to say, God, I expect you to move, and this is why on a day like today, I want us to come to the Lord and say, Lord, we want to be ready. There was a a willingness for him to, to, an eagerness in him. God, I want to eagerly follow you. And let me tell you about these days that we are in, though it is tough, though there are some challenges in these days, I pray that we walk by the Spirit. I pray that we are eager. I pray that we are ready like Simeon. I love this about him. He was walking by the Spirit. And and remember, a few weeks ago, we were in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, and it says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit so you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And that's an interesting command that we looked at a few weeks ago, that you and I are commanded to walk by the Spirit. So let's do that. That's why we can't be silent about this message of Christmas. That's why we've got to reclaim this message. And, and when we face that pressure of the secularization of Christmas, we go, no, we're walking by the Spirit. Look at verse 29. Simeon Picks up the baby. Lord, he says, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Now, point number one, as we look at this text, is so very important. It's this. Seeing salvation before death is absolutely critical. Simeon saw salvation before death. And this is why the Christmas message must be reclaimed, because it's in the Christmas message that we see salvation. And it is very important for the world that we live in, for them to see salvation before they die. That's what I pray for every one of us. This is why I pray that that the Holy Spirit moves in us today. This is why we've got to allow, allow God to get our attention today, Simeon sees salvation. He blesses God for keeping his promise and sending the Messiah. Now he's ready to to die. That word depart, the the word depart in Greek has several meanings. Uh, It means to release a prisoner. That's what that word depart, let me depart in peace. Depart in the Greek means to release a prisoner. It means to untie a ship and to set sail. It means to take down a tent. It means to unyoke a beast of burden. That's what the word depart means. And, And Simeon is saying, I can depart. I'm no longer afraid of death because I am free from my burdens of this life. I'm ready to experience the blessings of the next life. And this is part of Simeon's prophecy that's a missionary song. See, the message of Christmas is a missionary message. And and look what he says in verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. You see, what he's saying is salvation is revealed in Jesus and this is, this is such an important part of the Christmas message. When Christ came, salvation is being revealed through Jesus. The salvation is available to everyone who will come to him. Look at that incredible statement when he says, uh, verse 32, you are a light of revelation to the Gentiles, Simeon says. That's, that's you and I. We're not Jewish. Most of us, I guarantee you, most of us in our church are not Jewish. But God came as a light of revelation to us. Salvation has come. And and salvation, what does it do? It completely changes our perspective on death. You know, just this weekend, one of our beloved church members passed away. And I was talking to his wife on on, uh, Saturday. We were just talking about heaven. And, 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 And you know what? Because of what Jesus has done Because of the Christmas message, our entire perspective on death has changed. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 says this. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, deliverance from sin and death is one of the most powerful Realities of the Christmas message. Look at verse 33. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. I mean, think about Mary and Joseph, all that they had experienced. The, the angels had come to them and had spoken to them. And, and, and then they go into the, the temple at, at, <clears throat> at Jesus' eight days of age. And then this old man comes up and, and starts prophesying these things. Verse 34, and Simeon blessed them. And then he said to Mary, he went from praising to prophesying. Let's look at this prophecy. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. and, And for a sign that is opposed now, wait a minute. Let's think about this for a second. Opposed? I mean, this is not a message we hear at Christmas time. I mean, Christmas time we hear the message of, oh, hope, joy, joy to the world. The Lord has come. And that those are all true. But we often overlook this Christmas message. That Jesus was opposed. And of course, the Christmas message is one of joy, peace, and hope. But if we're going to reclaim the message of Christmas, let's not miss point number two. We've got to understand that Christmas brings conflict. Let's let that set in for a second. Christmas brings conflict? Now, Tim Keller says this, and I like what he said about it. He says, how does a surgeon bring peace to your body? It, like if you have a tumor in it, if you have a tumor in your body, how does a surgeon bring peace to it? A surgeon spills your blood, cuts open your body, and, 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 and he cuts the tumor out, and then it sews you back up. Be, why? Because that act of surgery brings healing, doesn't it? Now, a surgeon often makes you feel worse so you can feel better doesn't he? The Christmas message that we need to reclaim is like antiseptic. Joe, it's amazing what Joe's done today. I don't know if you uh, have noticed, but Joe's got a big bandage on his hand because the other day he sliced his hand open, saving his wife's life. Not really. He was working in his garage and didn't see a piece of glass. And it cut his hand open. But, but he was telling me about it. Yeah, it was a real bummer. Because he pulled it out and was like, oh, okay, we're going to the doctor. Um, and he, how many stitches did you get, Joe? Seven stitches right there on the top of his hand. Outstanding. That's beautiful. And, um, but, but you know what? When the doctor got to, when he got to the urgent care. The doctor looked at him and said, yeah, buddy, this is going to hurt you a lot worse than it's going to hurt me. Uh, this antiseptic is going to burn. And guess what? It, he wasn't lying, was he, Joe? It burned. But you know what? It was in that burning that brings healing. And to understand Christmas is to come to terms with the message of God to humanity. To understand Christmas is to come face to face with the salvation message Christ came to proclaim. To understand Christmas is to recognize Jesus while confronting the lostness of humanity. And people all through history have stumbled over Jesus. In verse 34, look at verse 34 again. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is opposed. You see, Jesus brings conflict now, now, how can I, how can we understand this? Well, John 3.19 says this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. When I think about my life, I love darkness. I'm like you. You love darkness, don't you? We, we would prefer darkness, but the light is calm, and, 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 and it brought some conflict to us. You might think, well, how and why? What's the deal? Well, well, Jesus, when he entered the Christmas story, the Christmas message, when Jesus came, Jesus makes people mad. You don't just you don't just uh, have a, a, a careless opinion about Jesus. No, you either have to follow him as Lord or you you oppose him. I mean, I mean, this says that Jesus is going to be opposed. Jesus makes people mad. Why? Because Jesus confronts our natural tendencies. He confronts us in our sin. He, he confronted me. He convicted me. When I was stuck in my sin, Jesus wasn't worried about hurting my feelings. Aren't you glad Jesus wasn't worried about hurting your feelings? When he confronted you in your sin, when he confronted you and said, look, you're going the wrong way. Now, we love darkness, and we want to we go the way we want to go. But Jesus wasn't afraid to make us mad. And, and it was in this confrontation, it was in this, this, this um, moment that he interrupted my life that brought me peace and hope. And Christmas brings conflict. And I'm grateful for the conflict that Jesus brought to me and he brought to you. And one of the things I want to say to you is Christ confronted you about yours. Let me tell you something. He cares more about that than your feelings. Jesus makes people mad. Jesus also polarizes people, doesn't he? When you think about Jesus, he polarizes. He's polarizing. Christmas polarizes. You know, in the early days of the Roman Empire, when, when Jesus entered the first century, um, it's very similar to our culture today. Romans were, were cool with religion. They were pluralistic. They would say, hey, it's okay if you have your private religion. You can have your private religion, but let me tell you something. There is a state religion that you also need to be a part of. Now, Christianity was different. Christianity taught us that, wait, there's one way to God, that, that when, when it came to these other worship, the, the worship of other gods, Christians would say, no, we can't do that. That's idolatry. But what's interesting about Roman society, when, you, when, when the early Christian says, no, we can't bow to Caesar, that caused problems for them. That caused a polarization from them because Christianity is different. Christianity says there's one way to heaven. Christianity is exclusive, isn't it? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, we live in a world that, that in the public discourse, they say, oh, no, 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 no. Let's coexist. Let's all get along. I, I kind of agree uh, with uh, Sam Harris, who's a well-known atheist, the the one thing i agree with sam harris on he says you know really the he wrote a book called the end of faith and and his argument is we need to do away with all religion because it, it, the christianity cannot coexist with other religions and i agree with that because our call is to evangelize the world when you think about jesus he polarizes people and the christmas message brings hostility to the social order, doesn't it? And this is true for us. This is why we cannot keep our Christian message silent. This is why we've got to not fall into the secularization of Christmas. Christianity brings polarizes people. Christianity, you know what it also does? It causes conflict not only among people, not only polarizing people, Christianity causes Jesus causes conflict within people. And one of the things I've prayed today is that the message of Christmas would cause conflict within you. Now, what do I mean by that? As I wrestled through this passage, I couldn't help but think about the conflict that Jesus brought within me, in my own heart. He confronted me as a sinner. He spoke to me. He got in my way. He, he uh, kind of communicated to me, Chris, you're in trouble. And he caused conflict within me. And, and the problem with me and everybody else who's been born is that we've loved darkness rather than light. And man, I'm sure glad that the Christmas message brought conflict within me. And, and look. He opposes you. Don't you see him? Don't you see what Jesus has done? Jesus causes conflict within people. Jesus is also, he's offensive. And so are his followers. That's the Christmas message, that that, that we are offensive to a world. Simeon is saying there's an offensiveness to Jesus, and this offensiveness will be transferred to his followers. Remember the moment in Mark 3? Mark 3 tells the story of Jesus. He's, he's teaching in his public ministry and even his own family. Mark 3, 21 says this, and his family heard it as they were listening to Jesus speak, teach. And, and, and his, when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he's out of his mind. His own family, as they were, heard Jesus teach, says, let's go grab him. Let's get him out of here, Jesus. You're nuts. I wonder where Mary was in this. I wonder if this was just his brothers, or I can see the brothers going to to Mary going, Mom, what's he doing? What's Jesus doing out here? He's nuts. And they tried to seize him. You know, it's interesting as you think about the offensiveness of Jesus. The Christmas message teaches that we're going to face persecution. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. I want you to hear this. This is what the Christmas message prepares us for. It says, "Jesus." Peter writes this, for it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But what is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you receive a beating for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. Think about this. Peter writes, to this you were called. For Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. See the Christmas message? It's offensive to a world. And look, we are called to follow in the steps of Christ, and that may bring persecution. And what's interesting is that's not a message you hear very often at Christmas time. But here's the thing. Look at verse 35. It says this, and I can imagine Mary going, what? When he says, a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I don't know about you, but often when my, I bet you're like me. That when the thoughts of my heart are revealed, I kind of go, ooh, man, I got some work to do. God, you've got some work to do in me. And when you think about Mary, of course we know Mary had to face that sword through her own soul. Now, maybe it's part of the fact that Mary, your heart is gonna be broken when you see your son die before you. Because that's not how the lifespan works or should work. It works some, sometimes like that. Some of us may have to see our children go to heaven before us. But, but you know what? I, I don't think that, I think that may be part of it I think the the sword in her soul, though, was also part, like like that beautiful song, that current Christmas, or it's it's a little old now, but when uh, Mary, did you know that this child that you delivered would soon deliver you? That Mary's heart had to be revealed as a sinner that needed a Savior. And see, this is so very important. As you think about Isaiah 53, as Mary confronts that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, but God laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, Mary needed to come to recognize that she needed a Savior. But point three, not only do we see this, as, as we think about Jesus being opposed do you realize that a child of God, point three is this, a child of God is known by inward warfare and inward peace? This is the conflict that Jesus brings. That, that as a child of God, we are known by, uh, by inward warfare in our hearts. J.C. Ryle is this old preacher. That, and, I, and I basically borrowed this from him. That, that he, he says that the child of God has two great marks about him. He may be known by his inward warfare as well as his inward peace. You see, when you put your faith in God, when you put your faith in Christ, there are a lot of battles that are eliminated. Christ saves you, Christ rescues you, Christ gives you hope and peace and joy. That's that's what we hear at Christmas and that's true. But but at the same time there's a whole new set of struggles that start. When you follow Jesus. We start to battle the flesh. Like, like Galatians 5.17 says. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you do not do whatever you want. You see a Christian is known by new peace. And new conflict. And we need to understand that about Christmas. That's a Christmas message. That true Christianity. It's a fight. We are in a battle. We are in a spiritual battle. And this is why when it comes to the secularization secularization of Christmas, this is a battle that we will say, no, we will proclaim the message of Christ in Christmas. We will not let the, the, the pressure to keep this private, we will not succumb to that pressure. Christians should expect and be ready for a struggle. And I think Ryle is right That a new life with Christ does not come without conflict. Now, as Joe comes up today, I want you to remember that God's peace comes after this inner conflict of repentance. You see, this is the Christmas message. This is the sword in our own soul. This is the confrontation, the opposition that God comes to us and says, repent and come to me and I'll, I'll save you. Repentance, like Tim Keller says, it's like antiseptic. When you pour antiseptic on a wound, it stings, but it heals. And this is how repentance works when you repent of your sin and you come to Christ and say, Lord, I trust you, I I see you, I I come to you, I follow you, and you come to terms with your own weakness, you come to terms with the Christmas message, the message that Christ came to proclaim, that's the path to peace and to joy and to hope. You see, peace comes after the inner conflict of submission. And Christmas teaches we shouldn't be afraid of trouble. We shouldn't be afraid of difficulty because this opposition that Jesus brings is peace, and this is the message that Christ, that, that, that Christmas needs to that needs to be reclaimed at Christmas time. You know, the the beauty of Christ entering the world is that Jesus came to fight the battle us. You may be tired. You may be tired of trying to, to earn your way or trying to fight on your own. And don't you see Isaiah 53 verse 8 says, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken the transgression of my people. You see, have you come to understand the conflict of Christmas? Like I said at the beginning, is Jesus going to be a part of your rising or your falling? This is why I pray that we really get the significance of this Christmas message. That Christ entered human history for you, to rescue you. And yes, there is conflict that comes. And I I want you to know, following Christ will never be easy. It won't be safe. It won't be comfortable. We're going to have to face trials and tribulations like we are in right now. But let me tell you something, God is faithful. He is faithful to help us, to strengthen us, to empower us. We can walk by the Spirit. That's what we've got to do. Let's walk by the Spirit. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, online there is somebody that's going to type, I am here for you. And it's my prayer that God has gotten your attention, and that you follow up, take a step, let us help you. Maybe you're in the room. You need Christ as your savior. Let us help you. I want you to know, Jesus really came. He came for you. And he'll he'll save you if you'll come to him. Now some of you, I'd say most of us probably are believers in this room. Let's do some battle for some people. We need to pray for some people. There's a lot of people that are hurting right now. Let's go pray for them. Let's get on our knees for them. You can do that at your seat. You can come down front. I'm gonna be down front. And if you need Jesus today, come. If you're at home and you need Jesus today, let us help you. Lord Jesus, we bow before you right now asking that your Holy Spirit move us. Father, we come today with a heart of expectation and an eagerness like Simeon. And I pray that there will be someone today that comes to know you as Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for the conflict you brought to me, to us, to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.